Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Mark, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I can hardly wait to find out what we talk about. <laughs> this seems about right, which is kind of how it goes with every single person we have here. Well, you know, I came across your work uh by a couple of different avenues. One, uh, just by browsing on Amazon and becoming very curious about who you were and, and what you were up to. And then by way of uh, you know our mutual friend, Gary Goldstein, who was a former guest here. So on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your story, your background, uh, your journey, and how that has brought you to uh, what you're up to in the world today? Well, where I am today, but this will probably change in a month, um, I channel people, and I'm not a woo-woo person, but I think that's what people say is you channel people. And what that really means is I hack into people's personalities, and I'm somehow able to look at the world through their eyes. And so I think a story to set this up is I'm now meeting with people who are kind of former visionaries who would like to regain their vision but often what happens is they get so mired in running a company and people pulling at them, they, they've kind of lost that ability. So I'm now helping people hack into their future. But it started out when I used to hack into people who had no future. So I'm a trained clinical psychiatrist. And when I got out of training, my specialty was suicidal people, highly suicidal people. In fact, uh, it, one time, early in my practice, 25% of my patients were suicidal, and you're not supposed to see more than one or two. And the reason for that is that my, one of my first mentors, a fellow named Dr. Edwin Schneidman, who started the suicide prevention centers in Washington and L.A. and was at UCLA, uh, he was one of my first mentors. And what would happen is he would go up to the inpatient wards and do a consultation on highly suicidal people who needed to be discharged because they weren't acutely suicidal anymore. It was just that they had a suicidal personality. And Ed would call me, and it was always the same call. He'd say, Mark, this is Ed. I'm with this handsome young man. I'm with this lovely young woman. They're in a lot of pain, Mark. You could help them. See them. And, and so I would see these people. And 
And what happened is, uh, what I realized is uh, I had the chance to be innovative because they were fresh out of the hospital, and clearly the hospital had stabilized them but really hadn't gotten them past their suicidality. Something else that I learned about language is there's something called experience near language and experience distant language. Experience near language is language that when you hear it, you can feel it. Experience distant language, you have to think about. And what I realized is when I would use experience distant language with these suicidal people, uh, they look at me with a look that says, okay, you don't get it. Thanks anyway. And but there was one special patient that I'll call Nancy, and she had made three or four suicide attempts in the previous four or five years, and she'd been in the hospital three to four months every year for the previous four or five years. And I was seeing her two or three times a week, and I didn't think I was making any progress at all, except that was the longest she was going without a suicide attempt of being hospitalized. And she never looked me in the eye. She always looked about... You know, 20, 30 degrees to the left or right, and 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 if you, there was kind of a lifeless part of her look. And then one Monday, I had just come back from moonlighting at a state hospital to make extra money. So there's a state hospital called Metropolitan State Hospital in Norwalk, California. And so I had been up 36 or 48 hours because I worked the weekend. And there I was seated with Nancy, and when you're sleep deprived, you know, your teeth wiggle, your sphincters don't work too well, you're a little bit wigged out. And as I was seated with Nancy, suddenly all the color in the room turned to black and white. And then the black and white became darker gray, black, and I got a chill through me. And I thought, well, maybe I'm having a stroke or a seizure. So she wasn't looking at me. I'm a medical doctor. I'm a psychiatrist, not a psychologist. And so I did a neurologic exam on myself, and I'm tapping my knee, and I'm looking at, uh, you know, holding up my index finger and seeing if uh, I'm having any double vision. I thought to myself, well, I don't have a, I'm not having a stroke or a seizure. I'm all here. And then I had this crazy idea that I was looking at the world through her eyes. And so I just leaned into it. And it got worse, and it got worse. And years later, when I shared this with a someone I met named Reverend Jim Kowalski, he's the main reverend of St. John the Divine, the Gothic Cathedral in Manhattan, he said, you went into the dark night of the soul. And so I'm leaning into it. I'm almost getting the chills now as I'm telling you. And because I was sleep-deprived, I blurted out something that normally I would keep to myself, and I said, Nancy, I didn't know it was so bad, and I can't help you kill yourself. But if you do, I will still miss you. Uh, I will still think well of you. And maybe I'll understand why you had to, because there was no way out of the pain. And I thought to myself, don't put that in the medical record. I thought, oh, I think I just gave her permission. Mm. And she made eye contact for the first time. And she's looking into my eyes, and I realize I had it right. And I thought she was going to say to me, thank you for letting me do it. I'm overdue. Mm. 
And I looked into her eyes and I said, what are you thinking, Nancy? And she said, if you can understand uh, how I might have to kill myself to get as the only way out of this pain, maybe I won't need to. And then the room came back and Nancy came back. She got a PhD. I think she has one or two kids. But what happened is it shifted everything. And it taught me how to listen to people from their inside out. And that came in handy because I then later went on to uh, do house calls to dying patients and their, uh, uh, and their families. And so I would sometimes be able to look at the elephant in the room through the eyes of everyone. And then I would intervene. And towards the end, it was almost boilerplate. I can remember one situation where the founder of a company who was dying in the, you know, in the bedroom, uh, I met with him briefly and I met with the people in his family. And when I meet with people, I think I connect quickly deeply and authentically. I mean, people just have this feeling that somehow I got into them. I remember on one occasion, this was the elephant in the room, and I'm there seated in the, the den with the family, and I said, what's become clear to me is that we're running out of time. And what's also become clear to me is there are enough chips on people's shoulders in this room that after so-and-so dies, there are some people in this room that will never talk to each other again. <clears throat> and your dad or your mom is not going to be really happy about that, even if they were partially the cause of the conflicts between you. So what I want to hear, and I want to hear right now, is I want to hear people apologizing for things. And it doesn't have to be recent. It doesn't even have to be accurate. Because some of these things are 40 years old. It just has to be earnest. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, I mean it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's rock and roll. And then one by one, they started apologizing. Oh, I'm sorry that I set you up to be the bad sibling, you know, the bad brother with the, with the parents. And I'm sorry. And what happened is they just started racing to apologize. And I transitioned into the business world because some of the, uh, the family members, the second generation would say, would you come in and help our business? And I say, I don't know. I'm a shrink. I deal with backstabbing, jealousy, uh, undermining people, blaming others. You got any of that? And they looked at me and they said, that's all we have. <laughs> and so that's how I transitioned into the business world. And then I realized there was a lot of application of this being able to hack into people. And so I, uh, went on to train FBI and police hostage negotiators. And I had a, <clears throat> a unique training that really uh, got the highest ratings when I would participate in all-day trainings. And what would happen is I would take off my suit, I'd be wearing a police uniform underneath that was torn, I hadn't shaved for two weeks, I put on a pair of glasses, one of, one of the glasses, uh, one of the frames was broken. And then I'd say to them, uh, I'm the guy in your department who shot the kid with a plastic gun last year. And I've been on medical leave for a year. 
And then I pulled out a gun and held it to my neck. And I said, and if you don't talk me out of it, I'm going on permanent leave. And then you live with the ghost of someone you should have been able to save. And this time it's one of your own. And so what would happen is I would hack into that profile and I'd always pull the trigger. And then I'd say, this is what you didn't ask. This is what you didn't say. And if you'd done it, I would have turned my gun over. And then this was kind of my signature presentation. So I did this with the heads of private wealth at Goldman Sachs in Wall Street on one of their one-day events. And what I did is I played someone who was worth $150 million uh, after losing $75 million, and I was with uh, J.P. Morgan. And I said, you know, when you take a $75 million hit, you think of changing. And so you have a pretty good brand. So I was thinking of changing to you. But before you pitch me, uh, I, 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 you and I know the game. Half of you don't even know what the mission statement is. And it's the same as everyone else's. And the uh, other half of you who do know it know that the only game is you're being told, get as much of his assets under management as you can. And I'm okay with that. You know, but uh, but why should I switch to you? And so what would happen is there's, there's a series of venues in which I would bait the audience, but I would hack into the profile of the person they're trying to convince, and they would never convince me. So imagine this at Goldman Sachs. You'll find this funny. And these are smart people. These are the heads of private wealth worldwide. And at the end of it, you know, after I frustrate them, and they're not getting through, Except there's one senior guy in the back of the room laughing because he sees what I'm doing. And I said to them, I said, you know, I hate to say this, but I was thinking Goldman Sachs, you know, your Ferrari, your Rolls Royce, worse, you're maybe a Mercedes. I said, you're Chevy salesman. Shame on you. Uh, all you wanted to do was convince me why I should... Uh, switch to you and get my assets under management. And then I shared with them questions they didn't ask me that would have caused me to you know, maybe work with them. Uh, like one of the questions was, I'd like to, what I want to know is the last five people that left you and why they left you. And I'd like to speak to them because I don't mind that you make mistakes I just want you to learn from your mistakes. And there was a series of other things. And one of the uh, managing directors looked at me and said, well, our clients, uh, our, our, our prospects would never ask us questions like this. And the person in the back of the room who was just laughing said, yeah, but they could all be thinking it. And so there's a whole series, you know, in my life where I've learned to kind of hack into people. And, and most recently... Uh, I've learned to kind of hack into Steve Jobs and think like him, see the world through his eyes. And what I've been able to do is come up with a formula that people can follow that would enable them to look at the world through his eyes and look at their products, their services, look at their customers. So I'm having a grand old time. I mean, it's amazing how many people would like to uh, 
learn that. Anyway, for a guy who wrote a book on listening, you haven't said anything. So I'll, I'll pause there and you can take me anywhere you want. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love it. There's, there's so much here. Uh, you know, I want to go back to even further than when you started the story, which I like to do out of genuine, my, my personal curiosity. What are the early influences in your life that would lead to this kind of work and this kind of a career path? You're getting my best stuff. Um, I hadn't made the connection, you know, with Nancy about how did I get to see in her dark night of the soul. And I hadn't made the connection until several years ago. Someone went into my dark night of the soul. And what happened is I think one of my greatest accomplishments, and I've accomplished a few things, but something that I've accomplished, that I, and I don't know anyone who has done this, is I dropped out of medical school twice and finished. And what happened is I didn't drop out to see the world, is I hit a wall and I was highlighting every book and all my books were yellow and I could read them, sort of understand them, but retain and recall nothing. So I took a leave, but miraculously I was passing everything. And so I took a leave of absence, and then I worked at blue-collar jobs, which my mind could handle. And my favorite blue-collar job was setting up displays for alcohol inside liquor stores, inside the front window, you know, cutting the paper and the corrugated paper. And I would also, I worked for a liquor distributing company, and I would go into some of the seedy bars in South Boston and... I, I, I negotiate with the barkeep. I'll give you a Heineken windmill for your home bar if you will put one up there above the bar for two months. And I'd be climbing ladders and these seedy bars, and I'd see skeletons of rats up there. And I got to tell you, I loved every minute of it. And sometimes I think it was the most honest work I've ever done. And uh, so my mind came back. And then I went back to medical school, and then in three months, I lost it again. And at that point, the school wanted to kick me out. So I met with the dean of the school, and I don't even remember the meeting. And then, um, and I'm not a religious person, but then a certified miracle happened. The dean of students, a fellow named Bill McNary, we called him Mac, was an Irish Catholic in Boston. And he calls me on the phone. He says, Mac, hey, Mac, it's Mac, Mac. I get this letter from the dean. Let it come in. We better look at this thing. And so I'm really at a low point. And he says, Mac, read the letter. And the letter says, I have met with Mr. Goulston. We discussed an alternate career, perhaps the cello. And I'm, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what I thought. Cello, and it says, and I am, uh, and I am going to direct the promotions committee that he be asked to withdraw, because I wasn't failing miraculously. And what a lot of people don't know is that the med school was losing matching funds every time they kept a, a place open for someone who took time off. And I can understand it from a business perspective. I, you know, I, I wouldn't have bet on me. And I said, what does this mean? And Mac said, Mac, you're being kicked out. 
And here is something that I tell young adults and teenagers when they're talking to their parents, when they're in a dark place, is I was so raw that I couldn't tap into my sarcasm and cynicism and say, they can't do that, I'm passing everything. I was beyond that. And I didn't go pathetic. I didn't go, oh my God, woe is me, what am I going to do? When he said that to me, I, it was like a gunshot wound. Uh, and I know what that feels like, because about 10 years ago, I had a perforated colon, and I almost died, and it felt exactly like that. And what happened is, uh, the, all the air went out of me, and then I just started to cry. I didn't sob. I was touching my cheekbones, and they were wet, and I, it felt like I was bleeding. Uh, and I think the honest, 100% pure-grade vulnerability touched him. And what I say to young adults and teens, if you have parents who care at all about you, just be honest with them. Just be 100% vulnerable because when you seem a little bit evasive and you won't tell them things because you think they're going to punish you, I'm a parent. You begin thinking, what are they hiding? And so what happened is it was, a, it, was a per, it was a miracle because there I was, and I came from a family in which there was, for lack of a better word, a lot of conditional approval. Hmm. You know, we'll give you approval if you do things the way we say. And by the way, whatever you do, you can do better. So, you know, I'm not that unusual in having had that background, what we call highly conditional loving. And so there I was with uh, not being able to do anything. And this is what Max said to me. So picture this. Uh, you know, you, you hummed a little bit, a little bit. So you, you probably know what I'm talking about. Conditional loving, conditional parenting, yada, yada, yada. And so he says to me, Mac, um, you know, you didn't screw up. You're passing. I think it's some kind of miracle. But you are screwed up. But if you get unscrewed up, I think this school would somehow be glad they gave you another chance. So I'm starting to cry with kind of the, from the kindness of this guy. And he says, Mark, and even if you don't get unscrewed up, even if you don't become a doctor, even if you don't do another thing the rest of your life, I would be proud to know someone like you. And I'm thinking, what did he just say? He said, I'd be proud to know someone like you because, Mark, you've got goodness in you. And you have no idea how much the world needs that goodness. And you're not going to know it till you're 35 but you got to make it to 35. And I'm crying. I'm almost crying now because he's pummeling me with acceptance and a future that I didn't see and value. And I don't have to do anything, which I didn't think I was capable of. And when I remember, I can feel it now. He points his finger at me. He says, Mark, look at me. And I'm looking at him. And he says, you deserve to be on this planet. Do you understand me? And you're going to let me help you. And I 
And I remember I just reached out and I said, I think I'd like that. And then he had to set up an appeal. And he was a PhD on the promotions committee. Everybody else was the head of these doctors, the head of the medical school, the head of these hospitals. And uh, he had to appeal the agenda for the next meeting. Oh, yeah, yeah we're appealing uh, uh, what the dean of the school said that we're going to ask uh, uh, Mr. Goulston to withdraw. And then I kind of made my case. And I guess other people saw something in me. And so they, uh, well, that's not entirely true. What happened is the head of the committee, and so I'm not mentioning the school, I'm not mentioning the person, but he was the head of surgery at this Boston area hospital, and he was universally disliked because he was condescending, he was shaming, you know, he was kind of the stereotype surgeon. Nobody liked this guy, but he's the head of the promotions committee. So people are pulling stuff out of me, and they're hearing things and whatever, and then um, and then he takes over, and he says, he says, okay, enough of this. He said, look, he says, I don't know what your deal is, but, you know, you don't strike me as someone who could become a doctor. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. I mean, I think we should both cut our losses you know, and just go find something else. And, 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 and why should we let you become a doctor? And something inside me, maybe it was the belief of the Dean McNary. Maybe I thought I had an angel in my corner. And so there I was at the most broken down, vulnerable point of my life. And something inside me just rose up and I looked up and I looked him in the eye. And he was a, an obese guy who was smoking a big cigar, very, very reminiscent of Red Auerbach. It was also a Boston kind of person. And he lays into me, and then I look at him, and I say, uh, Dean so-and-so, I said his name. I said, this has not been the best year for me. I said, I, uh, my dad had colon cancer. I got divorced. My wife you know, wanted to cut her losses, too, after a couple of years. Um, uh, I got... Graves' disease, which is my thyroid was all screwed up, and they filled me with this medicine, and then the medicine bumped off my liver, and so then they had to take me off this and that. And and to be honest, I'm just thinking that those are some excuses. Uh, so I'm so confused, I'm not sure what I want. And he's going, so, so, so. And then he says, yeah. So why should we give you another chance? So picture this. Here's this guy beating up on this little pathetic person. I'm seated in the middle of the room. Everyone's circled around me. And so I look him straight in the eye. And I said, so I'd like to plead insanity. And throw myself on the mercy of a room filled with doctors. And then I just stared at him. And he stared at me, and then he took his cigar, he put it up in the ashtray in front of him, and he turned his chair around and wouldn't look at me. Crossed his arms, and, and it was just dead silent. And then the dean of students said to me, Mac, uh, you know, go outside. We'll, uh, uh, we'll figure this out. And so then I go out in a stairwell, and I'm sitting there like a little, you know, orphan, 
about 20 minutes later, he comes out and puts his arm around me. He says, Mark, take a year, take five years. You'll always be welcome back here. And you're losing funds every year. And so I took a leave of absence, and what happened is I went to the Menninger Foundation, which was a psychiatric hospital in Topeka, because I just wanted to get away from, I grew up on the East Coast, I went to Berkeley in the 60s, and I had all these voices in my head telling me what I'm supposed to do. So I, I go to Topeka, Kansas, and lo and behold, I'm connecting with schizophrenic farm boys, and I grew up in a suburb of Boston, but I'm connecting with them. I, I don't know how I'm doing it. And so then I go back and I finish and I become a psychiatrist. And then about 10 years later, I meet with Mac. And I said, I said, why did you go out of your way to help me? And he said, Mac, because 30 years ago, someone did it for me. Hmm. You know, and that's, uh, and that's why all I've ever wanted to do is be this dean of students. You know, I teach anatomy, but I, you know, I love helping people and, and you were one of my better saves. And then I said to him, I said, so why did they give me five years when they lose money? I mean, I only took one year. I said, Mark, when you put so-and-so in his place and he turned around, we all looked at each other because no one had ever put him in his place. And we all looked at each other and said, we can't let this kid go. <laughs> and so I've been you know, wanting to pay it forward ever since. And so that's why I think I became a suicide specialist. And, uh, um, and, and there's a part of me, I'll tell you, it attacks my conscience. There's a part of me that says, because none, none of my patients kill themselves and they all made multiple attempts. And there's a part of me that says, if I can stop someone from killing themselves, what the heck am I doing in the business world? I'm saving families. But, you know, what's happened is after doing it for 35 years and the way they give up their suicidality is for me to feel it with them, and it's not phony, it had a cumulative effect. And so every now and then someone sneaks in and I'm like a retired gunfighter. And I can sort of, you know, sort of help them. And I'm actually working with a couple people, you know, the children of a, some CEOs I know, and uh, but um, uh, I had to give myself permission. Like I'll teach people, and I'll teach people about suicide and how to get through to people. Uh, but I can't be on the front lines. Uh, in fact, something and, and you might find this interesting. I wrote a blog recently on Robin Williams, and it was controversial because I said Robin Williams did not die from depression. And was a psychology today. And what I said is hundreds of millions of people have depression and they don't kill themselves. I said what Robin Williams died of was despair. And I break the word despair into D-E-S-P-A-I-R, which means unpaired. They feel unpaired with hope, hopeless. They feel unpaired with worth, worthless, unpaired with uh, meaning, meaningless, pointless, useless. And what happens is when they all line up, they pair with death as the way out. If I just kill myself, the pain will go away. 
And so when I used to do some uh, patient discussions at some of the uh, teaching hospitals at UCLA, <clears throat> uh, I would talk about that. And, and what would happen is I would interview one of their inpatients and, and we'd make a connection. And it was almost mesmerizing because <clears throat> that patient and I would just make the, everybody else disappear. And then what I would tell them is, you know, you got to pair with them. You got to pair with them in their health. And, and you got to pair with them before you throw medications and before you throw anything at them. Uh, and if you do it right, you know, they may give up their suicidality. But what's happened is, you know, what was interesting is some of the younger people, like the first-year medical students or the uh, social workers, you know, the, the more innocent they are, the more they'd give me a thumbs up, they would love this. But the more academic people would say, but we need, a, we need a diagnostic code. We need a treatment plan. And I would say, you got a diagnostic code. You're already charging the insurance. I'm sure it's okay. They're really unhappy. Find out how they're unhappy, where they're unhappy. Spend time with them in their unhappiness and then walk them out. So they never asked me to do a case conference again. <laughs> so is any of this of interest to you? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's all of interest to me. I'm just listening. <laughs> uh, you know, interesting. I guess the, the next question that really comes up for me is, uh, how do we come out of our own dark nights of the soul and see the potential in our future when we're in that place? Well, I think what happened to me is I think you have to go raw, vulnerable, even with yourself. In fact, I, I, two hours ago, I just got off the phone with a, a young adult, a, a daughter with eating disorders and uh, multiple treatments, and she, and she and I are connecting on all cylinders. And she kind of talks, and she's hyper, and we're connecting. And, and I said to her, I said, um, and I was kind of channeling her, I said, I just picked up something from you. Let me check it out. Because you're kind of hyper. I have a feeling that what you feel underneath all of that is you feel uh, incredibly hurt, incredibly afraid, incredibly alone, and incredibly lonely. And you're trying to stay away from those feelings because uh, if you shared them with the world uh, and the world just confirmed your belief that nobody could understand you or reach you and that you're not understandable or reachable, then you might have to go suicidal. And so you're kind of betwixt and between because what's happening is you're staying hyper to stay away from those feelings. And I think you have a fear that if you actually feel the depth of your pain, if you go into your dark night of the soul and there's no relief, you won't be able to tolerate it. And we did a Skype video call. And I'm telling you, I mean, we were connecting. Just, I get the chills because 
Um, and this was just an hour ago. I get the chills because I think um, I think she left with some hope, and I don't think this hope is something that she's uh, felt a lot of. Hmm. But as I said, I, you know, I, I uh, and I don't want uh, listeners to say, "Oh, I got someone like that. I got such and such and such and such." Because you know, the last in my transition, I've tried to find people out in the community, and so I just refer people to their medical centers and. Uh, and it's been really rough on me because, uh, as I said, you know, I, I feel good about what happened an hour or two ago, but I can't do it anymore. I hope you understand. So let me ask you this. You... Did that answer your question, by the way? Yeah, because... yeah it definitely did. Um you brought up this idea of, of listening from the inside out uh, to create a, a quick, deep, and authentic connection. And I'm wondering how we cultivate our ability to do that. Well, the crazy thing is, and one of my favorite quotes, and when I talk about when I channel Steve Jobs, one of my favorite quotes comes from my late and my last living mentor who passed away two months ago, Warren Bennis. Warren Bennis was, he started the field of leadership. And he wasn't just respected, he was beloved. And one of his favorite quotes is, try to be a first-class noticer. Because noticing is different than looking, watching, and seeing. And you can actually notice what you're hearing. Uh, and the point is, uh, and one of my other favorite quotes comes from a British psychoanalyst named Wilfred Bion, and he said, the purest form of listening is to listen without memory or desire. And what he meant by that is when you listen with memory, you're listening with an old personal agenda that you're trying to plug someone into. And when you're listening with desire, you're listening with a future personal agenda that you're trying to plug people into. But you're not really listening to them. And so you can cultivate this, but the point is you really have to care about them. So I've listened into you even though you haven't said anything. And when you said something about the dark night of the soul, and so what do we do when we're there or how do we reach people? Uh, the tone of your voice was slightly less professional interviewer. There was a deep curiosity, which makes me believe that either you have known some of that, or you've certainly known people who have been there who needed reaching, and it touched you. And one of the reasons you come up with people's stories and the hero's journey <clears throat> is because uh, what I'm talking about and what I'm saying right now is something you understand very well. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, you're definitely right. And so the point is I was just noticing it. And I guess the key is, you know, one of the other issues is <clears throat> um, I'm much more famous than I am wealthy. Because I live to serve. And uh, 
And integrity is very important to me. And my values are. And so when Just Listen came out, <clears throat> and it became the top book on listening in the world. Now, no one's ever heard about it because nobody wants to listen. But it reached number one in China, in Germany. Um, no book tour, no advertising. It's been the top book for the American Management Association for four years. If you go to Amacom Books, still number one. <clears throat> but what would happen is some companies would say, oh, come in and train our salespeople. What would happen is I'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't want them to listen. My book has some nifty little uh, techniques and tactics. Uh, so you just want to add some more tactics so they can close more business. You don't care if your people listen. Oh, no, no, it's on our website. I said, it's on everybody's website. I said, I can't do this. Because you're corrupting the spirit of this. And my view is, if you actually learn to listen into people, and your main focus is to help them with anything that's important to them, you're not going to meet your numbers this quarter. Sorry about that. You might take a hit. But you're going to develop relationships that will last a lifetime. And if you can stop being so pushy about hitting your numbers this quarter, uh, with, if your company could convert over it into actually caring about their customers and clients, what will happen is in a year and a half, you'll lap the field. But the problem is you can't wait that long because you have to hit your numbers this quarter. And I can't work with you. So the point is, it's there. It's there for the. Uh, it's there for the noticing. My big goal in life is here's my mission in life: healing the world one conversation at a time. Because I know what a conversation where people are talking with each other looks like, feels like, sounds like. And if you could imagine right now in this moment that we're speaking, if everyone in the world right now who's in a conversation started to talk with the other person right now instead of at, over, or even to them, the world as we know it would change for the better. Wow. So that's just one of my minor goals, you know, because <laughs> you know, I got to reach numbers this quarter too, you know, yeah. I got to pay bills. <laughs> so that, that brings up uh, two questions, actually. And I think this will, this will make a really nice segue. Uh, how, how do people find that sort of sense of mission and purpose in their work? I mean, I know I found mine. I think we have a very similar one. We're just using different mediums to accomplish it. Well, it's interesting. There's an exercise that I give people. And the exercise is imagine a circle, and the circle is your personality. And if you can imagine in the circle the parts of your personality that are either trying to prove something, show something, hide something, or please someone. Prove, show, hide, please. So if you imagine the parts of your personality that are, are absorbed with doing that, 
and then you eliminated all of them from the circle, what would be left? And when I've said that to a number of people, they say nothing. And I say, well, then it means that you are leased out to everyone but you. And if you can eliminate those things, you can discover your calling. One of the lesser known books that is one of my favorite books is by Susie Welsh, Jack Welsh's wife. And she wrote a book called 10, 10, 10. And she said, when you're making a decision, think of what will happen 10 minutes after the decision, 10 months after the decision, and 10 years. And she had a great anecdote where she said, when she was a single mom, she had to make a living. And there was one time when she had to tell her kids, sorry, we can't have your birthday party. So she knew in 10 minutes one of her kids was going to have a tantrum. But she realized that 10 months from then she would get a raise because it was necessary for her to come in and work that weekend. And so she realized if she could get a raise, she could be a better provider. And so she dealt with the 10 minutes. But she said the real tough question is you take a walk by yourself in the ocean and some, uh, some mountain trail and you say to yourself, where do I want to be in 10 years? And you look at your life. And she said it was on one of those walks when she realized she had to get divorced. And so I think using the eliminate the proof show, hide please parts of your personality and do the 10, 10, 10, mm -hmm. it can reveal a calling to you. So what's happened to me is I think I had a near-term calling to pay it forward to help suicidal people to pair with them in despair. And that was full-time, so I, I didn't really have a vision. I had a purpose, but I didn't have a vision. And that was a pretty good purpose and a pretty good mission. And as I said, if I was younger, I'd still be doing it, but it's kind of a young man's game. and I don't have the stamina that I once had. And I think... By allowing myself to transition, and there's a wonderful organization called the Life Adjustment Team in Culver uh, City, California, and for 35 years, they've been helping people who tend to fall through the cracks. So I've been an advocate of Life Adjustment Team for two years, and it's helped my conscience because now I have a place to send people that I, I could reach, but it just took too much out of me. And what happened is when I allowed myself to let go of that, this calling beckoned to me, and the calling was healing the world one conversation at a time. Can I share a final anecdote? Are, these, are, these sto are the stories too long-winded? Are they okay? No, they're fantastic. Well, uh, this might be the icing in the cake. Uh, an entrepreneur asked me to speak at a uh, something called Mondays at the Mission. And what it is, is at the Union Rescue Mission, which is one of the biggest shelters in the country, they have homeless teens living there with their moms. And they're allowed to live there for 30 days, and they're kicked out again, or maybe they can renew it. And so in the middle of one of the worst parts of Los Angeles, they have this thing, Mondays at the Mission, where they bring in motivational, inspirational people to speak to these teenagers who are age 10 to 17. It's an evening activity. And so the wonderful entrepreneur, Christopher Kai, uh, has been doing this for four years. And you should probably go speak there. I'll make an introduction. I think that'd be a good fit. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I was intimidated because 
you know, I'll say yes to things like this, but I thought, what am I going to say to a group of homeless teenagers? And so I get there, and I'm pretty quick on my feet because I can listen into things. And so Chris is talking to them and doing something motivational, but I listen in, and I'm seated at the back, and there's about 23 of these teenagers, and then there's about five or six volunteers, and I'm listening into the teenagers, and I can feel that he's pumping them up, but I just feel this incredible pain in the room. And so what I said to them, I get in front of them, and I said, uh, I said, yesterday I heard a sermon by a pastor friend of mine, and he talked about Anna Judd, who had run across America uh, in support of some veterans' charities. And my friend Jimmy Bartz, Pastor Jimmy Bartz, asked Anna, so how'd you keep from giving up and throwing in the towel? And she said, as I ran, I looked at things as if I was noticing them for the first time, as if I was blind. So I would look at the grass. I would look at a storefront. I'd look at dog crap on the sidewalk, and I would just notice it. And I would just, it would get me outside of myself. So I'm in front of these kids, and I said, I, what I would like you to do is close your eyes for 10 seconds and then open them like you're seeing for the first time and then tell me what you notice in the room. And then we went around, including the volunteers. And, and you know, they would say, oh, I noticed that clock is not moving, the hands. Oh, I noticed that the pile of books. Oh, I noticed the stain on the wall. And so the idea is when you notice what you're looking at, which is what Steve Jobs noticed when he discovered the graphical user interface at Xerox Park and said to himself, this is the future of computing. People aren't going to want to type, but give them a mouse, give them a graphical user interface, we will own the world. And so he noticed that. And so <clears throat> then what I did in front of the teens is I said, now, one of the things that I do in, in my work with patients over the years is I look into their eyes and I have found a way to look into people's eyes, which is not intimidating, but the look, especially when I'm looking in the eyes of suicidal people, is give me time. Don't try and attempt between sessions because then you'll scare the crap out of me and, I, I'll, and I'll stop looking for you. And so I did that with about 10 of the teenagers and I looked into their eyes and I can hold people's eyes. If we were together, we'll, we'll meet. You'll see, I'll just hold your eyes. And it's not intimidating. It's just, it's basically saying, tell me what's going on. We'll be okay. And so I practiced that with about 10 of them. And then a picture this in your mind's eye. I had them pair up with each other. And I said, I want one of you to ask the other one one question. And the person answering it, I want you to answer it as honestly as possible. And the person asking the question, I want you to look into their eyes with just caring. Uh, and then you're going to reverse roles. And the question is this, what's the toughest part of your life? And so they asked the question, and within about 25 seconds, about a quarter of the room starts crying. And the volunteers go, and they say, what's going on? And what a number of these kids said is, being here. And so I'm on a roll, you know, I mean, I, you know, this is, this is how I do presentations. I don't do PowerPoints because I, you know, I, I try to stay in touch with the audience. And I said, uh, I said, oh, we're not finished. Homework assignment. 
I said, I walked down the corridor and saw some of your moms. And you know, your moms are not in great shape. I mean, I can see that they don't like being here. Uh, they probably feel guilty. They probably feel worried, whatever. And so here's your homework assignment. And you don't have to do it after this uh, presentation, but sometime in the next week, I want you to go to your mom, look them in the eye, and say, Mom, what's the toughest thing for you about our life? And I said, at least a quarter to a third of your moms are going to start crying. And when they start doing that, what I want you to do is I want you to, to go over to them, put your arm around them, and hug them, and say, Mom, it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. I love you. So that was the homework assignment. So I have two final questions. Uh, one, I think, is probably something a lot of people want to know based on what you said at the very beginning, uh, which is how you see the world through the eyes of somebody like Steve Jobs and how we cultivate that. Because you mentioned a formula that you've cultivated for that. I know that people are probably thinking, what is that and how do I bring it into my life and my work? Well, here's what I would say to people. <clears throat> uh, go to YouTube and look at the one-and-a-half-minute video that says Steve Jobs visits Xerox Park. It's an excerpt from the lost interview. And when you listen to him talk about discovering the graphical user interface, part of the formula that he realized, and you need to do this to safely disrupt people's mindsets. So one of the things you have to realize about Steve Jobs is he was a disruptaholic. And that didn't mean that he was a, initially he was kind of a rebel without a cause. He was really rebellious. But what happened is he gradually became this visionary because he was able to see things that nobody else could see. And so, the, and the re, so he's a disruptaholic, meaning he's drawn to that. Now, to his credit, he could stay focused on one thing for a couple of years and then create a product. Uh, whereas Xerox Park was disruption phobic. We're in the copier business. We don't need this uh, mouse thing. Who needs a mouse? And so one of the things that, uh, that when you think of your market, when you think of your customers, when you think of innovation, what you want to trigger in people is either I can't believe what I'm seeing, but I'm seeing it. I can't believe what I'm hearing, but I'm hearing it. I can't believe what I'm feeling, but I'm feeling it. So what happened is Steve Jobs, when he saw the graphical user interface, he said, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And when Nancy heard what she heard from me, I would not think less of her for killing herself if she, if she needed, it was the only way out of her pain. She thought, I can't believe what I'm hearing and I can't believe what I'm feeling, which is hopeful. So, and to me, whatever you're doing needs to trigger that in your customer and client. And then what I talk about is my definition of innovation is and you know that I, you'll understand that I love to break up words, is I-N hyphen ovation. 
And so to me, what innovation is, is getting inside people's minds and hearts and, and having them either see, hear, or feel something that causes them to want to give you a standing ovation. And that's what Steve Jobs was able to do. I have a further formula kind of thing, and uh, maybe we can talk about sort of offline, mm -hmm. uh, but that's kind of my program, that's my IP, and I don't yet have sort of a runway for it. What I'd love to do is give a TED Talk on this thing, but uh, uh, you have to figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. But does that make any sense? Yeah. I mean, if you can... And, yeah. and, and, and also, one of the ways to do that is... Follow the example of IDEO. IDEO is this great innovation company, and I think they may have actually designed the first mouse for Apple. But one of the things that IDEO does that's amazing is they have psychologists, sociologists, computer scientists, philosophers. They have all these people from varying backgrounds, and also, to Jobs' credit, is he, he had multiple experiences. So go out and experience as much of life as possible as you can. So that was something else that made him very curious. But what they do at IDEO is they send all these people out into the world, and they basically say, be a first-class noticer. And what, he, what they say to them is, see when people are really excited and see what they're looking at. See when people are really ticked off about something and see what's ticking them off. And see what you notice and report it back to us. And so I think, you know, that's one of the ways that can inform you. And so here's what Steve Jobs noticed. Uh, what he noticed is nobody but technologists care about technology. All people care about is using it, and he probably thought technology is unreliable, complicated, and ugly. If we could create something that's reliable, simple, and beautiful, the world would come to us and we would own it. And, and if you put all those things together, reliable, simple, beautiful, it hits all those things. I can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe what I'm doing with this. I can't believe what it can make me do. So I think that's what you want to be able to. Uh, in fact, when I give talks to CEOs on the channeling Steve Jobs thing. And I say, go to your marketing department, go to your advertising department and say, Let's look at what our customers or clients or prospects are seeing, hearing, or reading about us, and let's see if it triggers anyone. Hmm. And if it doesn't, let's change it. So does that kind of answer your question, sir? Beautifully. So I'm going to wrap with my final question, uh, which is how we close all our interviews here at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think when someone can get into your mind, your heart, and your soul, especially when you haven't told them that much, I think, I think that's unmistakable. Hmm. And something that I talk about in my books, both Just Listen and Real Influence, which followed it, is often what people are thinking of. Uh, and my guess is I pulled it off with you, is what you're thinking unconsciously is, I wonder if Mark gets my audience and me. I wonder if Mark gets me. I wonder if Mark gets 
where I want to go and who I want to be. And, you know, my guess if I, you know, if I was scoring me from your point of view, you know, it's at least a B, B plus problem. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, Mark, uh, this has been just mind-blowingly cool and interesting. Uh, one of those conversations that I'm going to go have to go back and listen to quite a few times just because it was packed with so many gems. Uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your insights and your story with our listeners here at The Unmistakable Creative. Well, it's my pleasure. And, and anyone who's listened to this, uh, what you can do for me is think of anyone who stood up for you when you couldn't, stood by you in a crisis and wouldn't let you fail, or stood up to you to stop you from doing something stupid or to push you to do something you didn't think you could. That's what Dean McNary did for me. Think of that person, honor them by paying it forward to someone else, and then find that person or their next of kin and thank them for changing your life. Well, I think that makes a, a perfect way to wrap up our conversation. For those of you guys listening, I will link up uh, all the resources that Mark has mentioned in the show notes. Can't recommend his book highly enough, and we will wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? 
We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.